everybody, what's up? Welcome back huh? to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan, on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. Uh, how are you doing? Where does this find your ears today? What are you doing? What's shaking? I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth. Uh, just got back a few days ago from Edmonton, Alberta, where I was there for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. And uh, it was kind of a last second thing. My good buddy, Sean Majunder, was supposed to do it. And Sean had some filming conflicts uh, with the show he's on right now. And uh, he couldn't do it. So they gave uh, your boy here a call. And luckily, I had time in my schedule to slide out west and do it. And uh, it was it was awesome, man. I got to tell you, you go to these things. At first, I was like, outdoor comedy festival? How's that going to work? You know, comedy to me is an indoor thing. You, you, you need comedy is born in like low ceiling comedy clubs and or it's done in like beautiful theaters that are like, you know, made for sound. Um, I hadn't really done any outdoor shows to the best of my knowledge. I know a lot of comedians have, but I'd never, ever done one. And so I had some concerns, not going to lie. Uh, even upon arriving, arriving at the venue, I went on the Friday night. I wasn't performing till the Sunday. And I went on the Friday to watch uh, David Spade and Nikki Glaser and uh, Donnell Rollins and uh, Sean LaComber, who was hosting, who's hilarious. And I remember getting there for the first 15, 20 minutes. I was sitting in the audience. I was like, man, I don't know if this works first, you know, because it felt like I couldn't feel people laughing like you normally would in an indoor setting. But then I realized people are laughing. You just can't hear it as loudly. And you just adjust to that over time. So then after about a half an hour, I kind of relaxed. I was like, okay, this is, this does work. And, uh, and uh, yeah. So then I went on my show on the Sunday night. Uh, I was just before Nikki Glazer, or sorry, before Chelsea Handler. And um, Cindy Rivers was on that show as well. And uh, Lars Calio. And uh, they all did a great job. Everybody was awesome. And once I got up on stage, I was like, oh, no, you can actually hear them. You can hear them laughing. If the joke lands, you can hear it. It's not the big wave that you're used to in a comedy club where it's right there. You kind of have to wait a second. And I remember consciously thinking to myself before my show was like, I got to slow down. I want to let this all in and let the jokes go out and then wait for that laughter to come back for a second. And uh I really, really enjoyed myself. I did 30 minutes, but I felt like, man, I would love to be up here for an hour and change. It would have been, it would have been awesome. Crowd was really, really great. And um, as I said, the, the folks who set it up, Trickstar, uh, set up a great event. The stage, the sound, uh, just the way it was set up with the tables and the distancing and all that stuff was done really, really well. I know a lot of work went into it. So uh, thanks to those folks, uh, Brennan and everyone at Trickstar for having me and, and all the staff and Production and volunteers and all those people were so, so amazing um, to me and my girlfriend. So we really, really appreciated the uh, the treatment out there in the Edmonton. And I realized I hadn't played Edmonton, man, in a few years. Like, it's been a while. 
you know, you had the lockdown last year and I wasn't there. I don't think the year before. So it was like, it's just weird now to start thinking about, man, when was I in some of these cities last, you know? Uh, now I'm going back into another season of 22 minutes this is my fifth season I'm coming into. And we start that, I go back to work August 30th. So that's just, you know, a handful of days away. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to really get to too many more cities before next spring, you know? So it's just, uh, you know, grateful it's all back, but you also realize, man, it's been a while since I've hit some spots. Like I don't remember the last time I played Toronto or Vancouver, um, you know, Victoria, I just, yeah, it's insane. I, so many cities I just have not got to in a long time. So hopefully um, at some point in the next 12 months, I'll be able to do that. God willing, if the, uh, you know, the uh, variant stays away and we can all, uh, you know, do uh, do our thing continually and everyone's smart. And, uh, you know, I got the double, I got the double V. So I'm like, you know. You know, still trying to be smart, but I'm feeling uh, I got a little swagger in my step. You know, that's what they should have told people. That's what they should have sold it. Looking for some extra swagger? Uh, come get yourself two shots. Two shots of swagger. You know, when you used to go clubbing all the time, you were hitting the bars. You felt a little sluggish. You're like, nah, I don't know if I should be out tonight. I mean, I shouldn't be here. What am I doing? You and your buddies, you just weren't feeling it, you know? And then someone in your group, usually it was you probably, would say, hey, let's get some shots. Huh? Look at us. We look like a bunch of sad faces. Huh? Let's turn those frowns upside down with some shots. And then you ordered some shots of some terrible, terrible liquor. You all did it. You all made the same face. You made the same face like you just smelled something real bad. Huh? It burned your throat. You went, uh-huh. isn't this better? Uh-huh. And then suddenly you had some swagger. Hmm? Is there not a liquor out there called swagger? There should be. There should be. Yeah, I'm going to get a 40 ounce of swagger. Feel a little, uh, little off when I get the swagger back. That's got to be something. Look, if you're looking for liquor marketing ideas, give me a dingle here at the old uh, Generators podcast. Um, but anyway, yeah, with the vaccine, I, I do feel a, a little bit more, uh, not invincibility. I understand you can still get it. I understand that. I'm not saying to not be careful. I'm still very careful. I just, uh, what can I say? I just feel a little bit more, uh, a little bit, little bit stronger, you know? It's like when someone gives you a compliment, don't you feel a little bit better? You know? You're walking by, someone goes, man, nice shirt. That looks really great on you. You're telling me that doesn't feel good? You don't have a little extra pip in the old step? You do. Okay? You do. It's okay. You're allowed to feel that way. It's good. Feel good any way you can, you know? So that was Edmonton. And uh, like I said, I had a great time. Really, really enjoyed it. Got it to a few uh, restaurants there and stuff. My girlfriend and... And we had some great meals and uh, really, really good. Hey, come on in. Are you there? No? Thought I heard a knock at the door. Perhaps I didn't. Um, so we had a great time. 
And then um, before that, of course, was the two shows in Halifax at the old Triangle Pub. And uh, man, oh, man, they were also a lot of fun. Um, Really had a great time on those. I mean, these were smaller shows, obviously, with about 50 people each night in a small little room. But I really, 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 really had a good time. Um, You know, when I... (sighs) I, you know, as a comedian too, as I said, it's, it's a fragile environment. It's a lot more fragile than people think. I think people think you can just throw a comedian up anywhere in a room and, uh, or any in a field and it just can work. And it's like, in order to, to have a good show and feel that the audience feels like they're right there, it's, um, you gotta be heard and you gotta be seen. And people got to feel comfortable. There's all these other factors that go into a good show where the audience feels like they have everything they need in order to enjoy what you're doing. And so I had those concerns when I knew there was going to be the outdoor show in Edmonton. But with the Halifax show, my concern was, you know, we're upstairs in a pub. There's stuff going on below us in the pub, maybe music, whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to hear the music through the floor? And uh, I don't think we heard anything on the Friday, maybe on the Saturday, I might have held, held, uh, heard a little bit of a bass or something uh, for for a, a few seconds. But other than that, it was just, it was great. It really works as a comedy venue. And um, again, it felt like an old school comedy club again, you know, like kind of just up there, lower ceiling and uh, audience right there in front of you. And, uh, I, yeah, I had a great, great time. The cool thing about stand up for me is that you start, you know, when you're trying to work on new stuff, you start with nothing and then you have to try and build to get to a certain point, uh, material wise. And, uh, you know, I would have started probably back in St. John, New Brunswick, I guess, um, God, I don't know how many weeks ago that would have been. And that was my first time doing a full hour in a very, very long time. So to then get back to a point where you're like, okay, like some of this new material is really starting to hit and it's starting to work. Um, and you used to start layering these bits and growing them and widen them out a little bit. It's a, it's a really, really cool, cool feeling to see it grow so quickly and just encouraging to kind of keep going with the new ideas and, it's great that the audience has been so responsive. So I'm just, I'm happy that things are moving so quickly. I just want to keep building the time, building the hour and uh, keep it trucking and hopefully shop it out to the rest of you folks around the country at some point down the road. Um, I want to give a mention too, to my opening act in Halifax, which is, which was Chris Haliff, who was so funny. He's only three years into doing stand up, just a smart guy, super nice guy as well. Easy, easy to work with. Um, and yeah, he, he crushed it. He did so well, uh, on both shows and, uh, it was kind of cool to watch him, uh, do his thing every single night. So thanks so much to everybody who's come out to all the shows, uh, in both Edmonton and Halifax and, um, really, really appreciate your support. You folks have been very, very kind and, uh, um, it, uh, it means a lot. Uh, also to, Ah, God, I wish this wasn't the case, but uh, we've lost another member of the uh, Canadian comedy family. Um, One of my fellow comedians, Andrew Albert, died suddenly um, uh, a little while ago. And uh, man, this one, you just don't see coming at all. 
um, for him to pass suddenly in his sleep. It was uh, just such a, uh, just so out of left field for all of us, you know, um, for him to go at, at such a young age. A guy who was, you know, I'm sure just in his 40s probably. And it's just, uh, again, no words. Um, Andrew was one of those guys who was uh, really, really funny on stage, knew no boundaries up there, just kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. Um, you know, was constantly trying to write new stuff and come up with new stuff. Loved the road, like loved to be on the road, would go anywhere for a gig. Um and I, I think he's one of those people that fully embraced every part of being a comedian, you know, that you're going to get to have those great moments on stage, but also along with that, you're going to have to embrace the road and, you know, driving long hours or traveling for extended periods or spending, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks on the road. And it's not for everybody. And uh, as I said, the fun part is the adrenalizing part of being on stage and feeling that love from an audience but it's the other parts that people really have a hard time with. But Andrew just seemed to to fully embrace all of it and go headfirst into all of it. And and not only that, but make the most of doing that, you know, just enjoying himself and, you know, con- connecting with friends on the roads. Um, you know, he enjoyed food and wine. And um, I just think, yeah, just made the most of every single situation he was in when he was when he was traveling. And uh, yeah, man, it was. um it was a huge shock to uh, to his friends and family and to uh, our uh, our little comedy community for sure. So uh, again, my condolences go out to um, to all his loved ones and, and everyone in the in the comedy community and his fans because it's uh, it uh, that's a tough one, man. It is a tough one, and uh, yeah, I mean, we all say it, right? You know. Got to live each day like your last. But again, how many of us actually live that way? Um, and I got to be honest, part of me thinks Andrew did live that way. I think he did embrace looking to enjoy every single day and take the most out of every moment. And I think uh, that's something I definitely got to give him credit for. I think he did live like that. And I think it's, an, it's again, another reminder to uh, to all of us to do the same. Whatever it is you're waiting to do, go do it. All right, go do it. Don't sit around with your excuses and your bullshit story as to why you can't. Go do it. Figure out a way to do it. Make it happen. You can do it. Just stop telling yourself the bullshit story that you can't. And um, we all got borrowed time here. So let's let's attack it. Let's go after it. Also, there's a GoFundMe um, uh, campaign going on right now for... Um, Andrew Albert, I do believe it's going to help with uh, some of the funeral expenses and I believe also going to some of the charities as well. So uh, I've donated to that. And I think uh, if you look it up, there's also uh, there's a link there for you to, to also uh, make a donation if you'd like to do that. It's the Andrew Albert GoFundMe campaign. Um, all right. Now, let me set up my guest this week. This guy, whew, I mean, Canadian soccer legend there's no doubt about that this guy is somewhat of an icon in canadian soccer and uh he uh retired a a few years ago uh played well into his 30s um and and was a guy who could just score goals and create opportunities and was was one of the most 
skilled Canadians I think this country has ever produced. Um, his name is Dwayne Rosario, and uh, folks may know him as Dero for short. And uh, originally from Scarborough, Ontario, uh, played for Canada a number of times. Also played for Toronto FC, uh, Houston Dynamo, San Jose Earthquakes, and I think DC United as well. Spent some time in Europe. Um, and yeah, man, we've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while. I mean, it's been a, it's been some effort. But again, my uh, guest coordinator, Carolyn, has done such a great job. And she was able to connect us and um, got 30 minutes with him in this episode. And uh, yeah, man, we get into a ton of stuff from uh, the Canadian Soccer Association and how they treat the women's teams and the national and the men's national teams, uh, how things have evolved and still also where there's work to uh, work to do. Um, we talked about, you know, his early years growing up um, and uh, also about his book that's out right now, which is Dero, My Life and uh, his reasons for doing the book and how that came about and uh, lots of cool stuff. So I, uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy this episode. I think. If you're a soccer fan, you definitely will. But even if you're not, I think his story is very, very interesting. And he's got some some great insights. Uh, he's not a guy who holds back on what he believes. And uh, he will speak his truth. And I, they're some of the best interviews to have, obviously, and best chats to have. And uh, he definitely does that as well in this interview. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Again, thanks for listening. And uh, enjoy my talk with Dwayne DiRosario. Joined by Canadian soccer legend Dwayne De Rosario, who's just hanging out on his patio, just chill. If you can't see this video, just picture the most relaxed dude you can picture, just <laughs> like no stress. Is that the deal? Or are you just a guy sitting there, no zero worries, zero cares? No, I, I wouldn't say uh, no worries. I wouldn't say zero cares, but definitely um, I, I try to live my life stress free. Yeah, 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 I get it. I think, man, this last year and a half has been a lesson to all of us, you know, to kind of like prioritize like what actually matters and what stuff doesn't actually matter. Did you go through, have you gone through a bit of that in the last period of time? Through that, actually, going through this whole transition. So um, I think the last two years definitely have even brought that even um closer to the light for me and uh really as you said um figuring out to me what really matters most and um you know just really defining that and staying close to that is it did you think it's tougher as an athlete like i i played soccer like provincially on provincial teams i played in university and i loved it like it was it was a large part of my identity but i sometimes think you become so goal oriented in trying in terms of trying to make teams win games win championships and then after I left, stopped playing, I had to kind of recalibrate and go like, oh, okay, like this outside validation doesn't really mean as much as I thought it did when I was younger. Did you, have, have you gone through any of that yourself? Yeah, definitely some, um, some moments where I had to reevaluate um, not only myself, but, you know, just leaving the game, the game that's brought me so much opportunity, um, gave the game has shaped me to who I am today. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to walk away from, you know, it's hard to, to, you know, remold yourself, redefine yourself at a fairly, fairly uh, young age, you know, to, to retire, um, you know, from work. Um, of course, it's a blessing, but at the same time, it's also, 
that's all I ever knew. That was my outlet. That was my escape. So um, I still play. I'm still involved, obviously, through my foundation and my academy. So I'm still getting my hands involved, but I just have to, to create a new happiness within the sport. Yeah, I got you. Um, it's funny when uh, the Canadians women's national team won the gold medal, the Olympic gold medal uh, a week or two back. I, I thought about not just that team, obviously, but anybody who's ever put on the red jersey and represented this country um, to you. You know, you went to battle many times wearing that jersey. Mm-hmm. What, did the, what did that moment mean for you? Oh, man, it's a it's a moment that every athlete strives for. As you mentioned, it's a it's a it was always a dream of mine as, as a kid to, to play at the highest level. And it, it's always been a dream to play for the national team. And it's it's an honor. It's a humbling moment. And it's one that I always have taken with a lot of pride. Um, so, you know, to watch the women, you know, win that Olympics means so much on so many different levels, um, for the women's game, for the growth of the women's game, um, for the development in soccer. Um, it also pushes our men's program uh, as well to, to try to, to try to achieve more. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get there step by step, but you know, watching them, the, uh, those women celebrate and, you know, watching Christine St. Clair, you know, the, the statesman be able to win a, a gold for the contribution she has done for the sport and for this country was uh, was was fantastic to see. Yeah, for it. sure. Yeah, it was, man. I had some tears in my eyes. I'm a, I'm a man enough to say that, Dwayne. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a man who could admit that I was yeah. I might have shed a tear. You know what I mean? That's not yeah, that doesn't make sure. me weak. You know, that no. makes me emotional. That's okay. It's a good thing. If anything, it makes you strong. Yeah, that's what I told my buddies. I was like, shut up, man. Okay? This takes yeah. a real man to cry it out. Okay? Right, uh, right, right. <laughs> um, I also thought, too, about how far Canadian soccer has come, obviously, in the last, let's say, 15 years, uh, two decades. And I know there was a lot of talk, especially when you were part of the national team setup, about the CSA and about... Um, let's just say there were some gaps in terms of resources and preparation uh, uh, on that side, especially on the men's side. How do you feel like that has evolved? I mean, we all know the game has changed with access and kids can watch more games and get more training and stuff. But in terms of the CSA as a body, do you think things have evolved in that regard in terms of how they prepare uh, national teams on both sides, men's and women's? Um, yes, to some degree and no to some degree, with all due respect. Um, I still think we still have work to do regarding preparation. Um, I think we've obviously come leaps and bounds, um, you know, from where I started in 95, 96 with the national program under Bob Lenarduzzi. Um, you know, but a lot of that work and it has come from the contribution to MLS. And, and honestly speaking, I mean, MLS coming to Canada was a major push to, to the growth of, of soccer in, in Canada. Um, not only providing avenues for for youth to to strive for um, locally, but also stadiums, facilities, um, environment, professional mindset around the growth of this sport, um, which we had to really calculate, you know, what direction we're going. And, you know, from that, obviously, you know, to have uh, the old CSA president now and, and Victor to, to be a part of now the CONCACAF decision-making, is, is a huge step to help grow the sport to further, you know, enhance the sport, enable us to, to be better prepared on the men's side. Um, you know, it's great to see the women, you know, having that success, but um, it's two completely different conversations, right? Um, and that's being very, very honest, you know, um, you can't really compare the two in terms of competition wise. 
Um, you know, we're, we're playing against countries that have pro leagues um, where we, we've just really started ours in the CPL. So um, hopefully with, with that continued support and the growth of that game and the league and our, uh, on this side, will help continue to create environments for, for us to better prepare. Um, I still think we need a home. I still, still think the Canadian Soccer Association needs a, a home where we can go and we can train all year round um, as athletes, as professional athletes, as, as representatives of the Canadian national team, uh, especially in our off-season. Um, and I think that would be the first step in the right direction. Got you, yeah. Because um, I always felt that for you guys, I'm sure as competitors, you – there's not a gap there in terms of your competitive level, right? You're playing against another country. You want to win just as bad as they do. Yeah, but when you yeah. don't have the resources behind right. you, you haven't had the games together and the time together, like it's going to show when you get out there. And I'm from Newfoundland originally. So I used to feel that on a national level. We'd go play Ontario at nationals. And I'm like, these guys been together for a year and a half. I don't even know half the names of the guys on the team. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? and, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's complicated. And you know, the Canadian landscape, right? I mean, you look at our roster, you have guys playing in Scotland, Germany, Turkey, US, MLS. Um, man, you got us all over, scattered all over the, the globe. And you have to come in, in in like two days, three days, four days and play a, a qualifier. It's it's going to be, it's going it, to, the odds are against you, right? Yeah. No matter how good your team is, no matter who you have on the team, it's hard to, to leave a, a system that you train and play in every day and just adapt like that. Whereas other countries come in a week and a half, two weeks, or a lot of their players play in the league that they all play in, and they all play a very similar style of football. Yeah, or transition. or they've they, they've played in every transfer with um, every every World Cup, um, you know, FIFA day. They've, yeah. they've played a friendly to prepare. Yeah, they got the reps under their belt for sure. I used to hear some horror stories about uh, Canadian teams going to uh, different countries in CONCACAF, the conditions, hotels. Tell me, lay it down for me. Tell me the worst where you were like, you were there going, is this this real or is this actually happening here? Like what, what would have been the worst thing you would have walked into in terms of you, you arrive at the airport, go. Like what, what was the worst one? Man, I just... Central America, for sure. I mean, as soon as you arrive at the airport, the camera's in your face. They're watching every move you make. Um, the, the, the hotels aren't bad, but the fans are, are crazy. You know, the fans <laughs> are hostile. They, they're partying in front of your hotel, crank call in your phones, um, fireworks going off. They're revving their bikes. You know, it's just a huge party going on. They, they have those laser lights in your, in your room. So, you know, Guys take sleeping pills. Guys take earplugs. You know, when they come here, it's like you rolled the red carpet. They stay in a nice <laughs> hotel. Nobody troubles them. And they feel like they're home. And they have, sometimes they have more fans than Canadian fans. Right. So that that that's something that really bothered. I've always bothered me um, because this country has provided so much for so much of us that have come first generation Canadians or immigrants um, that, you know, when, when we, we should be proud of the product on our field, regardless of who, what country you came from. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, our kids are here or, or your kids are here. So why not support um, the growth of this sport locally? So this, we're up against so much. We're up against so much. I mean, yeah. there's so many levels that I could get into that, um, you know, people, they just wouldn't understand, you know, not maybe not having enough water in the locker room, you know, during training The you're playing at two o'clock or three o'clock in midday with the heat, the sun is beaming on you. Um, you know, there's so many things. Man. 
<laughs> you're just yeah, exactly. I've heard, man. I've heard stories about like bags of urine being chucked oh, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, you're going yeah, for yeah. throwing. It's yeah. like, yeah, what it just what just hit me? Is that what I think just hit me? Is that yeah, that? Yeah, Mexico, Mexico, Mexico is they're infamous for those things. Um, you know, because they they don't have bottles and stuff like that. Right. But you know, when you're coming out the tunnel, you, they have the security and they have the shields up, and you're hearing all projectiles flying and hitting the thing, and they're like, what? What is this? You know, this is. Did anybody, anyone see that on a camera? Or can we get that guy out of there? Uh, there's actually yeah, forty thousand yeah. of them. They're all throwing. All right, yeah. well, let's just start the game, I guess. And and not, and not to mention the unfortunate side of it, there is some racial slurs in there that we've seen over over Gold Cup uh, that's finally now coming to life in the Gold Cup. But this is something that I've been through since ninety five, ninety six. That you know, so it's it that's not new. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that, you know, it's starting to come to the forefront because it shouldn't be tolerated. And the safety of the players should always be priority number one. Yeah, no doubt about it. It is amazing, isn't it, man? In, in 2021, that we're still having these conversations, you know, that yeah, it's the, the terrifying thing for me, I think about it is like when you're in a place where that many people feel comfortable enough to yell all that <laughs> shit, like you, yeah. you feel like, oh, yeah, this is this is fine. This is that, that tells you a little bit about the cultural background of where they come from in terms of I don't mean just a country, but I just mean like in that pocket they hang out in like this. Oh, yeah, this is a fine thing for me to say or throw or th- that to me is the, is the bigger issue. It's not just what happens during a during a football game. It's like this is this is OK on some level to these people, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think when ignorance come into play and, and misinformed people, um, you know, some of the things they, they blurred out and some of the things they say, you just have to shake your head and you're looking at them saying, bro, you're you're darker than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're more Afrocentric than I am. But <laughs> you, right. you can't you cannot see that or you just just want to not uh, see light. And, you know, so it's it, there's, there's a lot of level of ignorance. And I understand that they're doing whatever, you know, in some respect, they're, they're doing whatever they can to throw you off your game, to retaliate, to get mad, to get angry. But there's there, there has to be respect to sport and there has to be respect to, you know, that there's a fine line when yeah. it comes to them. I got you. I got you. Um, so let's talk about your book a little bit here. Um, my life, you decide to, to sit down with, of all people, I mean, Brendan Dunlop, <laughs> who I know. And I'm like, really? You're, Dunlop was just available? You, you thought like, ah, I talked to some other people. No, I'm joking. I love Brendan. He's a great guy. Tell me, tell me, about, uh, tell me about how you get into cahoots with this guy and, uh, and about the book itself. Yeah, to be honest, it happened very organically. I mean, and naturally, just we just came together. Um, we, I've obviously done interviews with him. Um, he's interviewed me on his show numerous times on various uh, shows that he's worked on. And uh, we kind of just came together one time in a point where I was starting to actually write. I was starting to to kind of journal my life and, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to, you know, formulate this idea I had of, of writing a book about my 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 life well my playing journey. Yeah. Um he kind of came to me at the same time and, and said, Dio, you know what, I've been a fan of yours. I've I've watched you develop and grow Scarborough Kid. It, you know, I'm pretty sure you have a great story to tell. You know, how how you ever thought about writing a book um on your life? And I go, dude, I've I've gone to like one and a half pages and I don't know where to go from here. I go, so yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to, you know, put together. So he said you know, why don't we meet and and I just you just t- tell me your story and I write it for you. Um, at first, you know, with no disrespect, I've you know as a reporter, I'm looking at him in that light, you know. So I'm just like, 
<laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I've never ex- exposed my personal space to, to anybody like that, you know? Um, so when we met, um, first he told me his journey, his story, and, and you know, watching my career and stuff like that. And I, and I felt very comfortable. And, and I started to talk. And what became a, a football story became really my life story and my journey from since I was a childhood growing up and the, the experiences I had, the challenges and the difficulties I had in my personal life that I would never share with anyone. And he's like, wow. And he's just recording it. And, and then, you know, he'd, he'd read it back to me. He'd, he'd read it back to me. And I'd be like, wow, this is, did I say that to you? He's like, yeah. And I'd be, like, I'd be so, sometimes like so in a zone because it was almost like therapeutic at, at, at a lot of times, right? I was getting so much off my chest that I didn't even realize that I, that I was holding on to. So, um, you know, my life came around and, you know, I, I started sharing more and more. We had more, um, lunch dates and dinner dates and, you know, just t- telling my story and, you know, kudos to him, man, for, for really, you know, investing that time and energy and effort because it really took a lot, you know, from him to digest it, formulate it and compose it into my life. And it was draining on me to, to tell stories because a lot of times I had to pause. I had to, you know, pick it up the next day. And he's like, oh, man, like, I really want to get into this. But I'm like, I don't I, I'm not even ready to touch uh, touch that topic. I've never even really spoke about it. Yeah. And now I'm letting it out. It was emotional. It was like a roller coaster. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it was it was the best thing I've, uh, I I did, you know, um, besides, you know, pursuing my dream of playing football. Isn't it interesting, man, when you, when you tell your story to somebody else? Like I've I've told elements of my life, like my grandparents raised me, didn't really know my parents very well. There's a whole lot of stuff. And you realize you carry this shit around into your adult life. And I realized like I, I used to make decisions based on this stuff that I was still carrying around, like the story you tell yourself. But then when you tell your life story to somebody else or elements of it, they're just they look at you like wide eyed, like, dude, like yeah, that, yeah. that's a thing. And you it almost sounds like you're talking about someone else. You're almost outside yourself going like, shit, is that that that's me. I'm I'm in that's my story. It's insane. Right, right. Well, I'm getting that now because people have my book. They read my book. Um, players that I play with pretty much my, my whole career didn't even know half that stuff. Because, again, I never really shared that space. Um, I felt like, you know, it was, it was I was moving on I was uh, as I was growing and developing as a young man. And, you know, I kind of felt like I left that behind. But like you said, you know, you, you when you start talking about it, you're like, man, I'm still ca- I'm still really carrying this around because it's affecting me uh, as I'm as I'm telling my story. But um you know, now people know more about me than I that I know. They come to me, goes, "Dear man, but you know, it's funny. It's like when you tell your story, how it how it um, how it resonates with people. You know, yeah. how different experiences that I've been through resonates with so many people. I've never even thought that that my story would impact in in such a way, and it could just be the smallest of things. And I'm constantly getting messages in my soul. Thank you. For this this really resonated with me. And it, it could be a sentence. It could be an experience. And you're just like, wow. You know, when I get that in from when I get that kind of feedback, for me, it's um, the book is is definitely. Um, I'm, I'm very proud that that I've went ahead and and, and, and finished that body of work. Oh, that's awesome, man! Congrats, first of all, on the on the on writing the book and and uh, the fact that it's it's touched so many people. I think that's the great thing about creativity in a lot of ways is that 
often the more inside of you you go, the more universal it becomes, strangely. More people relate to it, even though you think it's something very deeply personal and unique to you. You realize when people hear it or see it, they're like, man, that's they plug their own life into it. You know what I mean? And and exactly. uh, touches them, you know? So that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, to me, when I was growing up, I don't know if you relate to this, sports, soccer mostly, and basketball, it was an element of um, of me having control in my life. There were so many other things that I didn't control, but when I put hours in on the pitch or in the gym, I was like, I can make this ball do what I want it to do. There's an element of it. Of course, you can't win every game, but there was an element of control that I think I only realize now that I got from playing sports. Was that the same way for you? What did sport mean to you when you were young growing up? What did what did the game mean when you were a kid? It was everything. I mean, it was my it was my escape. It was my release valve. It was my stress relief. It was it was a, a sense of belonging to. Um, in school, I wasn't the I wasn't the um, I want to say I wasn't the brightest. I wasn't the books guy. Yeah. You know, I was struggling with marks. It was more just paying attention. I was active. I was very. Um, you know, I guess sports driven from young, you know, yeah. um, growing up in a very active environment household as kids, you know, growing up, we're always out playing, you know, yeah. like you said, every kids on the street playing 24 seven. I mean, we would dabble in the video games, but the only time you really be in house is because you're grounded. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's punishment. I mean, yes. the punishment. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're out playing 24 seven. Like you said, it wasn't just basketball. It was, it was, it was, it, it was, um, you know, kickball against the wall. It was baseball. It was, you know, uh, street hockey. It was football. It was everything, anything and yeah. everything we were playing, racing, track, or, or just hanging out, you know, just being yeah. kids. So um, school didn't really resonate with me, but sports did. So where I felt like, you know, I felt the um, the teachers pretty much giving up hope on me or, or you know, I was a cast, a cast out in, in my classrooms, I, you know, went to special ed. It was sport that made me feel that I belonged. Right. And I really embraced that. And I took to that. And once I started to get that support and, and, and win uh, um, in elementary school at a very young age, I wanted more. Of it. Yeah. When did I felt you, important. I felt like I, I, I belonged. Got you. When did you feel like I, I can I can take this to the pro level? When, what what age were you? What was that process like? Um, man, it was I didn't I didn't really think that I can until maybe about 15, 16. When, when the national team started looking at me, because, I, I, you know, again, coming from Scarborough, there wasn't a lot of us kids making, right? right. Um, we just weren't, we just weren't supported. You know, the national team program was in Hamilton. We were training outside in the freezing cold, which I look back on and I thank because it truly helped me become a stronger man, you know, mentally to overcome certain, certain things. But um, it wasn't really designed for, for us to be successful. You know, it wasn't catered to, to kids in, in, in that environment. Uh, and I guess that's what also pushed me to want to become not the, not the uh, majority, but the minority to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for all, for all the guys that quit and stop because of whatever circumstances that was in the way. Um, bless my, my father's heart being the supporting dad he was to drive me and I was, you know, no, you're going to training. Shut up, we're going, you know? And I'm yeah. like, man, I don't want to go, you know? So there's times like I have to go through that. But my, I think my biggest epiphany was, was 
at 12 years old when I went to England and played in a tournament in Norwich. Um, a team from London, Ontario had me as a, as a guest. And I think that's when it really sparked something in me to say, wow, like I did this for my family. Like this team paid for me to come down here, put us up in a house, you know, um, you know, took care of my family. Um, at the time I was only 12, so I was a kid, but something in the back of my mind, it registered, something registered. And then of course at 14, 15, I was just like any, any, any of us hard headed boys, you know, don't want to listen to my parents, think I got everything figured out. And then that's when I started to pull away from soccer, you right. know, and then I was leaning more towards the street side of me and my experiences that wasn't serving me, that wasn't doing anything and leading me to any positive direction. And it took a couple of experiences where a wake up and thankfully I was able to get a few a few second chances. And I and that's why I put my head down at probably 15, 16 and say, you know what? I have to make this work because I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to be a statistic. Yeah, I got you. I want to be a positive influence. <clears throat> don't don't we all know people, man, who were just so crazy talented, whether it was yep. in sports or music or whatever it was, and they just didn't make those choices. So when they had that moment that they fell off the rails, rather than recorrecting it and getting back on, they just went deeper and deeper into the woods, you know, and they never yeah, yeah. came back. You know, another guy sitting around now going like, I could have been a thing. I had a chance to whatever. It's like, yeah, it was there, but you didn't fully grab it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's crazy because some of the some of the biggest hustlers in my community were like the were the greatest athletes. Yeah. You know, because we knew how to hustle uh, yeah. on the on and off the field, right? That's we right, knew how yeah. to to work hard. We knew how to commit to something and and where a lot of kids were lacking that discipline, you know. Um we had we, we had that discipline and and um but it, yeah, it's crazy how when I look back at the amount of talented players that I've played with um you know in my club and just in that in that era and and to see how many actually went on to make it um there was few there was yeah. few definitely but not even close to to what potentially or possibly could have been um you know and that and that that goes for for because there you know whatever it is yeah. you know along the the, the way yeah, you just, that's like I say to comedians too, man, like in my business and, and actors, it's like, you just get kicked in the teeth so often. It's just how much can you, I think sport helped me with that a lot, was just that ability to go like, yeah, you don't win every night, but it's like, can you get up and go again? Can you be better for the right. next one? Can you, whatever. And I don't think everyone has that mentality, whereas I feel sport helps you develop that. Like it's, there's no feeling sorry for yourself. There's no victim here. It's like, we just recalibrate and we go again. And I think sport brings that, but some people don't learn that lesson, unfortunately. The talent's there, but that mindset is not there. 100%. And, and, you know, being a street kid, the instant gratification looks so, so, yeah. so beautiful, right? It's, yeah. it's right there. You know, sports is, you, you, there's no guarantees, right? And, yeah. and it's just continuously hard work. You don't know if it's going to work out and not everyone has that mentality to see it through. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. It's funny. I was looking at uh, some highlight reels of uh, some of your greatest goals and uh, there were some absolute crackers. You had some too where like you're going across the box, like maybe 25, 30 yards out and you're facing the sideline and somehow you get your hips around it. I'm like, that guy's that, that keeper's not expecting that. He's like, ah, he's going to like, he's going to back heel it to somebody. He's going to lay it to the corner. I'm like, how did he get his hips around that to smoke it into the top shelf? And there's the best part. When you did the celebration, you're like, you're doing the shoulder thing. <laughs> Tell me about the celebration. What was the what was the origin of it? 
Yeah, well, a cele- celebration um, is is to pay tribute, like we said, to to, to a lot of the guys I play with um, that ne- that never made it. Um, and it started really with my Marlboro Magic team. Um, it's called the Shake and Bake because in an article we played a, a club from out here in the Robbie. An article said, you know, Malvern Magic put a Shake and Bake on on, on the team, right. and uh, it, that you know, I was it, it was truly I was I I just joined the MLS. You know, and I was thinking, you know what? I know how the U.S. is. You know, it's all about marketing. It's all about, you know, that that kind of side. So I'm like, I got to create a, a dance, a goal celebration dance. And and I, w- I just moved down there and I was looking through articles. Uh, my cousin actually put together this article book of all my clippings. She did an amazing job in like everything. And I was just couldn't believe it. And that one stuck, stuck with me. And then. We played our first game in L.A. 2001 against the Galaxy, our rivalry. I was with the San Jose Earthquakes, and I scored my first debut. And I did the dance, and I didn't even it – was, it was supposed to be a pop lock because I used to love breakdancing. <laughs> I was supposed to break it down, like, you know, pop locking and breaking it down. <laughs> and so after the report, like, oh, you know, that's a, I've never seen a goal celebration like that because everyone does their, you know, copies and does something because I've never seen that. What is that? And I said, man, that's a shaking bit. <laughs> And then that was it. It stuck. It was born. It was born. That was it. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I love that. It's got that uh, that root back to roots back to where you where you came from. It's just amazing that that I was. I said, I'm not gonna ask him about that one of these days if we yeah. ever talk. I'm like, where? I, I, I've never. I never did that when I was a kid. Like I've never. I, I would celebrate goals and stuff, but I never did that celebration. You know. Right. Um, yeah, I think that was. Together. I think that may have been uh, the result of your uh, shoulder injury at uh, DC United. I think that's the, yeah, my uh, back and my neck too. Yeah, it was the, just a breakdown <laughs> of cartilage and vertebrae over time. You're just they're like uh, Dwayne. Your doctor's like, you're gonna have to stop shaking bacon, man. We can't. Uh, I mean, you can play another three years, but we're gonna need you to not either not score or not shake and bake. Celebrate when yeah. When, <laughs> light, light on the shake. Keep the bait coming. <laughs> That's right. Easy, easy on the shake. Easy on the shake. Um, when you were when you were playing, how did you like to be coached? I know some guys like someone who's right up in their face, fiery. Other people like just an arm around them, kind of quiet. How are you? How, how did you like receiving instruction? Um, I didn't mind both. I've I've had I have I've had them all. Um, I think uh, the man the play, the man management side of it is, is is a very vital part of the game i like when coaches just let me be me and and give me give me give me a canvas and let me create yeah. you know when, when 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 coaches try to restrict me um that's when i've always had a hard time yeah you know because i i'm just i just don't play that way i'm very still very street soccer style i'm very you know grassroots futsal you know kind of creative mind that that I, I love to express myself on, on, on you know, it feels my canvas. So I love to just, you know, go free uh, where some need that guidance, they need that structure. I don't need that. I just need to say, okay, Dero, this is your role. This is your responsibility. You mark here. <laughs> you can let me just do my thing. And yeah. thankfully, I've, I've earned the right um, very early to coaches to trust me to, to uh, and allow me to be me. Yeah, no, you're right. You got to have that canvas to kind of play within and and uh, and do your thing. Um, I wanted to ask you this thing before two last things before you go. Um, tell folks about what you're up to these days. Uh, the Dero Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, the Dero Foundation is is um, 
my my uh, my foundation supporting kids in after school programs. I'm, I'm a product of after school program in metro housing communities. Um, supporting you know, things, single dads, single parent families, just families that are that are that are working hard. And you know, you know, as you know, after school. You get home as a parent, you get home six or seven, school finishes at 3.30. It's a lot of idle time in these environments for kids to get into a lot of trouble. So it's just a, creating safe spaces for kids to uh, use sport as the vehicle to create uh, better serving citizens. Um, but we also teach health and wellness. Uh, we also teach financial literacy in our programs. And um, we do a lot of community work as well. So uh, it's through the DRO Foundation after school programs. Nice, man. Great. Fantastic stuff. All right. Here's the last thing. Um, if 14-year-old Dero could be here now to see the life that you've built, the career you've had, he blows in off the street, ball under the arm. What's, what's, what's that kid thinking? What, what would that kid think of the life that you've, uh, you've built for yourself and the career that you had? Um, I would like for him to think that I can do this too, that anything is possible if I put my mind to it. Um, I'm going to fall i'm gonna scrape myself i'm gonna get kicked i'm gonna get hit but i'm gonna get back up and i'm gonna keep going after my dream and i'm gonna keep uh moving forward until i till i'm living and walking in my in the dream that i that i envisioned for myself and even surprise myself that my dream wasn't even big enough yeah <laughs> that there's so much more to do and there's so much more more dreams to set and more goals to set so um just keep pushing on and pushing through Awesome. Dude, thanks for doing this, man. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, all the best with the foundation and uh, and the academy and take care of yourself. Thank you. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Cheers, man. Peace.